prayer. Father, thank you today for the many reasons we have to praise you today. Not the least of which is the saving work of your son done for us on the cross, giving us new life, rescuing us from our darkness and from our destruction and allowing us to walk in newness of life today. Thank you for the privilege of serving you in this place. Thank you for sustaining this place the many years that you have. And as we stand on the cusp of a new school year, we again admit that any lasting work, anything that lasts for eternity will be accomplished not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And so I pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen our hands, and help us to uh, prepare for the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Um, Glad for this opportunity to share God's word with you this morning, and I trust it will be an encouragement to you. I do feel like I'm standing in the next zip code, but for some reason we, we should be able to fix that. I'm not sure why. I, uh, I think this is a pretty significant vacation week. So I think a lot of people are out of town or they knew that I was preaching. I'm not sure which. Um, there could be a reason for that. But turn to the book of Titus, if you would, with me today. Book of Titus. We are just a couple weeks away from our <clears throat> annual opening of the school year. And once again, through the prayers of God's people and through the diligence of the admission team and others, we are um, looking forward to welcoming a student body that will be comprised of young people from all over the world. And some of us will teach them. Some of us will supervise them. Some of us will work with them. Some of us may be in more distant roles. Maybe we'll just be praying for them. But all of us, to a certain extent, will be walking side by side with them, helping them realize their fullest potential for the Lord. So are you ready for it to begin? Uh, I get asked that question a good bit about this time of the year, and my typical answer is, not yet, but I will be. Uh, God didn't ask me to be ready today. He didn't ask you to be ready today. He will ask me to be ready the day that, that they come, and so by God's grace we plan to be. But what's, what's our outlook for ministry with our students as we anticipate the varying roles that we will be involved with them as they come in just a few weeks? Some of us, I would think, are probably chomping at the bit. We're looking forward to this. We're full of energy. We're eager to make an impact. Um, some of us are not sure we're going to have the energy to keep up with the demand. Some of us are actually hoping that Joshua's long day comes back and the sun stands still and we get another week of vacation uh, before all this starts up. But like it or not, they'll be back. And by God's grace, we need to be prepared to minister to them. God's given me the privilege of serving in student life now for almost 30 years. That's a long time. Many of you have served here for a long time, longer than that, in your various uh, roles and departments. So how do I get ramped up for another year? What is it that gets me prepared? Uh, because just like you, I have plenty of opportunities to see my 
patience reservoir run dry, sometimes on moving day. <laughs> so what do you do? I remember one time sitting in my office with a student who said, Mr. Dalton, I can tell you enjoy having a conversation as long as you're the one talking. <laughs> that wasn't my wife that said that, that was a student. Um, I remember another time sitting with a student and we'd had a long conversation and um, felt, I, I, I felt there were some things that we were covering that were helpful to him that, that from what I could tell. And he said to me, he just kind of blurted out, he says, you know what, Mr. Dalton, when you talk about administration and organization, he says, I, I just love to listen to you. But when you talk to me about my spiritual life, you are so frustrating. Maybe you've had a similar experience with student. I'm sure we've had some experiences that are much worse than that. And if we're not careful, what we tend to do is we start to look at a student as a burden, an obstacle, instead of a brother or sister in Christ. And so how do we prepare ourselves? Do we, we, we take, take different attacks here? You know, we could say, well, I just need to reach more deeply into my vast reservoirs of ministry experience. I've been doing this for how many years now? So another year, gird your teeth, get after it, you can do this. Okay, that's one option. Or perhaps you've got a temperament that just kind of lends itself to people-type ministry. So, hey, I'm pretty sanguine, I'm not cleric, and so, you know, I can, I can handle this, and here we go. I've had a couple of weeks off, months off, and now, here we go. My, my, my temperament will kind of pave the way and then sustain me. Maybe I'll at least be able to get to fall break before I completely lose my sanity. Or do we just say, well, you know what, I'm going to avoid the hard conversations because those tend to drain me and I'll leave those to my supervisor. All of us have faced that temptation. And I would contend that all three of those options are not good options. They're not good options to sustain us if we're going to be in some type of ministry to people, especially to our students. And about three years ago, the Lord brought a passage of Scripture here in the book of Titus to my attention that I want to share with you this morning in the hopes that, that it will similarly stimulate you, motivate you, stabilize you as you consider your own role in carrying out the mission that we have here at BJU. Titus 3 provides us with a, a ministry manual of sorts. And, and I think in a way that, that gives us a, a timeless strategy that we can use in working with our students. In fact, I think the entire book of Titus is manual-like due to its purpose and its setting. Let's read those verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, Serving divers less than pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That, being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now Paul wrote this book of Titus, of course, to Titus, who after a visit to Crete with the Apostle Paul was left there to put in order these newly founded churches. Now imagine yourself for a moment as if you were Titus. Here you are, perhaps in your mid-30s. You just witness again once the, the, the transforming power of the gospel and the lives of these people who, who Paul refers to as liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And your job is to see to it that these people are organized into congregations where the scriptures taught, leadership's trained and appointed, fellowships established. But there's one problem there's no manual. Looking at Phil Girardi here, he's a visible reminder of how helpful manuals are. What are the benefits of having a manual? Have you ever gotten a new piece of household equipment or a new gadget, gizmo, or you just were trying to figure out how to shut out light on your dashboard in your car? You, you, you go to the manual. I realize stereotypically men, we have a harder time doing that than, than the ladies do. Um, but unless you're just naturally intuitive, and, and some of you are, and I have nothing but highest esteem for you, that you can just see things, see a problem, don't need a manual, you can fix it on your own. Most of us need a manual. Several years ago, we had to replace our refrigerator. And so we shopped around until we found a refrigerator that we liked, and we purchased it, and we had it delivered to our house. They say that you remember significant days in your life. Days that you're married, day that you bought your first home, and the day that you purchased your refrigerator. <laughs> the men delivered it, but once they got it to the front door, they realized that the doorway itself was too narrow to get it through. Our house was built back in the 1950s, like some of yours, and I think people were just skinnier then. And so, instead of being that standard 32 inches, it was only 30 and a half inches, the inner door... And so here I am with this refrigerator that has to sit in the living room, unless I do something with it. And the guy looked at me and said, bud, you got to take the doors off. So, because I wasn't naturally intuitive, I opened the manual. And I was so glad I had a manual so that I could figure out how to take the doors out, get it through the doorway, and get it into the kitchen where we could use it. Think about Titus. You think refrigerators are hard to figure out? Try people. How do you do all this stuff? You can read God's law and the writings of the apostles, but how do you go about dealing with all the, the people issues? What kind of people are supposed to be elders? What kind of people are dangerous to the faith community and need to be resisted? In the church, what are the roles of older men and older women? What responsibilities belong to younger women and younger men? What general obligations do Christians have toward everyone? Well, welcome to the book of Titus. Not only do we find straightforward answers to all those questions, but we find them presented in classic Pauline style, couched in, in gracious gospel terminology, which is so, so helpful to us, so much more than a manual. And so the Apostle Paul shows us once again that every practical responsibility of the Christian life grows out of an understanding of the gospel. So the message of these seven verses is essentially this. Teach proper relationships while remembering your similar past 
from which God mercifully delivered you. That's essentially, in a sentence, kind of what what these verses are saying. So three things to leave us with as we consider the ministry that God gives us to these people, these young people that will come to us. And dare I say, these aren't just principles that can be applied to our students, but our children. Anyone that we serve in a position of influence or leadership, these have broad implications that I think can be taken into whatever context that we have. But especially as we're thinking about students, how can we serve them in a way that glorifies the Lord and in a way that endures beyond fall break? Number one, Embrace opportunities to provide instruction. That's really what verses 1 and 2 are about. And specifically here, Paul's talking to Titus about how they should, these new believers, should be taught how to handle other people. And instruction is something that requires time. It requires sincerity and accountability. And we can't avoid the need to practice instruction if we are going to take our ministry seriously. So we look away from our own petty considerations, through our own agenda. Some of us are to-do list people. We start each day with this list of things that need to be done. And you know what? People always interrupt that. They always ruin that. Um, And you find very quickly, what's most important, my to-do list or the people who are right in front of me? What kind of instruction are we supposed to provide? The same that I believe Paul is telling Titus he needed to provide. First of all, he had to provide instruction regarding authority. Look at what he says. Put him in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work. Of course, primarily the the people here that he's telling Titus to train these Cretans to respond to is governmental authority. Learn to submit. Learn to obey. We don't need to have a sermon on the authority crisis that we're living in today. Authorities for the most part, have have lost all respectability, some well-deserved. How do we teach our students submission and obedience to any authority, let alone governmental authority? Well, most basically, we have to model the humility of our Savior in our respective places of authority, but then we have to teach respect and obedience to the authority when opportunities arise. Some of you may have heard that we have a small change in our Policies which govern day student housing this fall. Been some confusion among some of our students about that. And so if a student this fall is living off campus with a family member other than their parents, they'll need to go through just a, a very simple confirmation process to make sure the housing arrangement follows policy. Well, this week we got a response from a student to our general student life email account, which says, okay, so are we going to retinal scans and blood types as well? Okay. Senior. (laughs) So what do we say? What do we do with that? Well, that's just this generation. You know, they're just bold when they can speak from their email. Leave it alone. No, it's a con... As long as authority is in the scripture, we teach authority as a principle. I don't want anybody to get nervous. He didn't get expelled or anything like that. Okay. But I just responded with an email. I said, you know what, bud? I'm a little bit like you. I'm quick-witted sometimes. And sometimes when I say things, I say them before I think, and I come across kind of snarky. 
Let me encourage you to consider the fact that anytime we make a change or an adjustment of policy in student life, there's a reason for it, and we're always glad to talk about it. But you and I can both do better. What's happening there? We're addressing the issue. There's a need for an understanding that I can't just sit down and shoot off the hip, something that I feel would be funny, and take up somebody's time or be offensive to somebody that had no intention to be offensive. So we've got to instruct regarding authority, but we've also got to instruct regarding all others. Verse 2 is really about speak evil of no man, no brawler, showing meekness unto all men. You see these superlatives here. We're not just talking about how to treat authorities, but we're also talking about how to treat everyone. In speech, not to speak evil of anybody. In manner, to avoid quarreling, showing meekness unto all men. That, that perfect courtesy, that virtue that is glaringly, conspicuously absent from so much of our culture, even our church culture. Some have defined it as mild and gentle friendliness. Think about the references to, to this term in Scripture. Galatians 5 says that meekness is listed as an evidence of, that one's living under the control of the Spirit. Galatians 6 says that meekness has to typify confrontation. 1 Timothy says that Meekness is one of the virtues we have to possess. 2 Timothy 2 says meekness must be used in addressing frustrating individuals. James 1 says meekness is the way we receive the word. James 3 says meekness is associated with heavenly wisdom. 1 Peter 3 says meekness must describe my gospel response under duress. And you know, culturally speaking here, due to our tendencies to retreat into our technologies and isolate... We have an, a generation of young people that increasingly don't know how to handle each other. They are socially not adept. They are immature. And it's not necessarily because they hate people. They've just never really learned how to handle people. So what do we do? Well, that's just today's generation. They're just a little slow in developing social skills. No, we don't just, we instruct, we teach. We teach the virtues that Paul proclaims to Titus, knowing that these skills are often the skills that are the means by which the gospel goes to people. Nothing against door-to-door -door evangelism. It has its place. But as we all know, relationships are crucial today in getting any kind of a message out. And when a person can smile and listen, and converse, and can do that capably, so many times their ability to carry the gospel to others is improved. So embrace the responsibility to provide instruction. Don't run from that. That's part of what we do. That's part of our manual for ministry. But then secondly, consider your personal history. And this to me was what God really used in my own heart to, to kind of really provoke me and, and convict me about my own tendencies to impatience and irritation and frustration with students. Verse 3 says, we ourselves also were just like them. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We served divers' lessons and pleasures. 
We lived in malice and envy. We were hateful and hated one another. All of those terms are interesting concepts, colorful terms to to trace through the New Testament. And these Cretans could look at this and hear verse 3 and they could say, yeah, you know, we're first generation believers and we understand what it was like to be characterized by these vices, but you and me, do we tend to look at verse 3 and think, yeah, that's me. Me, I remember those days being enslaved to those passions and desires. Some of us do. I would say many of us perhaps don't. The natural question that we struggle with today is, when was I like that? I don't remember that. Be be, Be honest with yourself. We often tend to think of ourselves as pretty good people who just mess up once in a while, right? Isn't that true? It tends to be how we consider ourselves. And the reason we get into this dangerous mindset is because we're so good at comparison. Drive by the Triune Mercy Center on the corner of Stone Ave and Rutherford Road. Look around and consider the average inhabitant of a homeless shelter, an addict, a derelict, a a street street dweller. Aren't we just a little bit better than they are? Just, Just a little bit. Actually, we're not just good people that mess up every once in a while. We're actually pretty bad people that only do good by the grace of God. And we need to think about that a lot more often. These verses aren't necessarily a commentary on our remembered experience, that we can recall all the various ways in which we served and lived according to the flesh. But the truth is that all of us possessed, and I might add, we still possess in seed form, these vices that can grow quickly to harvest foolishness and disobedience and deception in part apart from the saving grace of God. The best thing to do when you're sitting there with a young person, with your child, with a wayward family member, with a fellow church member who's pursuing a life of foolishness, is instead of getting irritated with their, their unwillingness to hear your counsel, is to sit there and say, you know what, that's the way I was. That's the way I was, but by God's grace, I'm not running from him today. I've got my whole life's shot full with issues. Sure, I've got all kinds of things going on, but by God's grace, I'm not running from him today. I'm not shaking my fist in his face today. But that's how I was. That kind of reality, that kind of awareness energizes, fuels my ability to sit down with someone and to hear foolishness, or to hear disrespect, or to hear whatever it is. Because it's not about that person and his waywardness. Ultimately, I want to help him with that. But my compassion comes from a realization that that's how I was. But there's a third thing that happened. And that's the third key here. Embracing the opportunity, the responsibility to provide instruction, remembering your own past history, and then finally, meditating on the life-transforming power of the gospel. That's really what verses 4 through 7 are talking all about. But after all of that, God's kindness intervened. 
And that kindness was demonstrated not by my own work, not because of my own works of righteousness, not because of my list of things that I've done, but because of God's mercy. He saved me by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. All three members of the Trinity are involved in this work. God saves us according to his merciful kindness, apart from our self-effort. The Holy Spirit cleanses us and gives us new life. And Jesus Christ's cross work mediates the Holy Spirit's generous outpouring to believers. That shedding abundantly upon us. Those of us who have the Spirit of God in us by virtue of regeneration have all that we need to appropriate the promises of God's word, the truth of his word, and to live out a life of obedience to him. Because we've been transformed. And so, actually, the most powerful reality in ministering to others is not necessarily my common past history. The sin which we have in common. That gets me understanding them. But it's the powerful saving work of Christ on my behalf that actually enthuses me and drives me to seek that they be reconciled to God. So the ultimate motivation for ministry to others is is not their attractiveness, right? It's not my winsomeness. Oh, he's just a people guy. He can really handle that. You can do a lot of damage with a magnetic personality, frankly. You can dash a lot of hopes with that. The ultimate motivation is understanding that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. When I was unlovely, Christ died for me. When I was young and immature and impulsive and selfish, I'm already thinking about all these ways we're going to have to protect these renovations in Johnson with these freshmen coming in this year. Okay, we're going to have sprinklers going off every minute because a football gets kicked through the ceiling. You know, I was one of those one time, okay? Doesn't mean we don't need to teach responsibility, but, but that's where I was. When I was young, immature, Christ died for me. Because he died for me, I can die for these young people. I can serve them in mercy and kindness because I've been saved by God's mercy and kindness. Isn't this the same paradigm that we see in the whole concept of forgiveness? Forgive why? Because you have some type of infinite reservoir to to draw out of to forgive? No, you have no right to refuse forgiveness because Christ has forgiven you. So I forgive because I'm forgiven. Be merciful because God has been merciful to me. So I trust as we begin this new year, and it's still a couple weeks off and we don't have to be ready for it yet. (laughs) But if we begin this new year with any sense that that that's going to make us effective or that our extended summer vacation has vitally recharged our batteries sufficiently or that the book we read this summer, we read this book and you know what, now I really understand this generation and it's going to be a different year because I, I know them, I got them. You know what, all of those perceptions will leave us sadly disappointed. And our students will quickly become obstacles rather than brothers and sisters 
made in the image of God who desperately need our input and instruction. So may God help us to take Titus 3, to review it, read it from time to time. You may need it like me. You may need it the first week of school. But it can be a great help in recalibrating our perspective so that the energy to reach the needs that these students have is drawn from an, a gospel resource rather than just a personal experience resource. May God help us and encourage us with that truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth in this book. Thank you for a manual that helps us understand how to conduct ministry. And I pray that you would uh, guide us and energize us as we consider our various roles and may our interactions with the students this year be be better than they ever have and better not because we we have more energy or more enthusiasm or because they seem more more uh, cooperative or obedient but better because we find ourselves continually energized by gospel truth to know that as we have been saved, as we have been recipients of God's favor and grace, your favor and grace in our lives, we can then dispense that same favor and grace to them. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.